Well, good morning. Welcome to our continuing Bible study in the uh, Gospel according to Luke, and we're in chapter thirteen. and And uh, today's lesson finds us there in uh, in uh, verse eighteen through twenty one. And we have this parable of the mustard seed and leaven in the midst of everything that's been going on. And it seems kind of a what this is just sort of out of the blue, but it as we look at it, we find that it it fits right in with what's going on and so <clears throat> let's read from from Luke chapter thirteen starting in verse eight eighteen then said he, unto what is the kingdom of God like, and where unto shall I resemble it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in it, and the branches of it. And again he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. And uh, so, uh, kind of an interesting parable right here in the midst of what's been going on, and uh What is the kingdom of God compared to? And, you know, as we kind of look at, it's important as a kind of a preface to this message this morning, it's kind of important that we look kind of at the the overall picture of what's happening, what's been going on. And, you know, the Lord's got, His disciples are following Him, and and to them, perhaps things looked a little tenuous, for followers of Christ. They weren't well received by the religious folks, the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders all looked at them like they were uh, interlopers and taking away their power and people were going after Christ. But, you know, a lot of people went after him, but then it seemed like we found in John chapter 6 uh, when he when he brought some some spiritual truth to them, most of them went away and walked with him no more. John six six six, <clears throat> and so these followers of Jesus were saying, "Well, you know, you had dinner with those Pharisees, and they were really angry when you left." And then we had the the ones that came up to us and said, "Well, you know, what happened to those Galileans that?" went up to sacrifice and the Romans killed them. They're all dead or gone now and scattered. And then the Tower of Siloam fell on a bunch of other ones and killed 18 of them. And uh, and it, from a physical standpoint, maybe it just didn't look real promising, you know. <laughs> and and that nothing's changed through time. And... Uh, and we we if we look ahead to verse 23 of Luke chapter 13 they said lord are there few that be saved so you know that was on their mind and 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 through time we we find that's been the case you know who hath believed our report and i'm all alone and they want to kill me and then so it goes and and so a few scriptures kind of give us a little bit of a 
insight as to what we see here is this parable of a mustard seed and parable of of leaven in the in the middle of these kind of unrelated accounts it kind of seems like on the surface but we find that in the mind of Christ all things are related and are working for the redemption of the church and so he's he gives these words to his disciples and and say, well, maybe things aren't like they seem on the surface. And, you know, we're all prone to underestimate the Lord God Almighty. We're just prone to that in our flesh. And we think that the concerns that we feel and and think are are hidden from him in our hearts and our minds unless unless we address him in more of a verbal or a prayerful kind of a condition. But if we're just thinking about them, we think, well, he doesn't know what I'm thinking. <laughs> That's just the way we are. We think, well, he can't read my mind. <laughs> but he does all the time, you know. And, and nothing has changed over time. Uh, you know, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, verse 1 and 2, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. So even though he was present with these disciples, and he seems like he's, like today, he seems like he's afar off, but he's not really. You know, he says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of them. And just because he's not visible doesn't mean that he's not right there with us and, and knows our thoughts even though they seem to be afar off. And, you know, Paul wrote about this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. If you turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. And, you know, last week we talked about in in Hebrews chapter 4 about the the gospel being mixed with faith and and how that all worked and in he goes on in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 for the the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart and neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And that's, you know, that's really the view of the Lord that we need to keep uppermost in our mind, that, that everything, everything is naked and, and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And, and, you know, three times in Luke, so far as we've been going through the book of Luke, three times... Previously, we've read in chapters 5, 6, and 11 where it's written, Jesus knew their thoughts. They thought they were pulling some secret scheme on him or the disciples thought that that they, they had a concern but they hadn't voiced it. But it said Jesus knew their thoughts. And he's always saying things to them like, fear not and uh, take no thought for your your necessities. I'll take care of all those things. Fear not them that can kill you. <laughs> he says all those things that he he says that he knows are on their mind and he gives them words of comfort. And <clears throat> so
so he he knows our thoughts and and so back to our text in in Luke chapter 13 where he's, he says what shall I compare the kingdom of God to that kind of understandable for you and and he uses a mustard seed and leaven as similes with which most people at the time were familiar and they were utilized by the Lord to demonstrate a spiritual truth here, as we find parables are always that way. And, and <clears throat> he, he calls the, them uh, parables here in, of a mustard seed. And, and we find that utilized throughout the scriptures, a mustard seed quite often utilized <clears throat> in, um, in Matthew and Mark chapter 4 regarding the same circumstance where he's talking with the disciples and and mustard seed and leaven were both seemingly very small things which produce a great result Amen. and mustard seed is frequently used in parables and analogies by Jesus in Luke thirteen eighteen. here in our scripture today it's a small seed planted with purpose in a specific place, in a garden, it says. And it kind of takes, you know, if you've ever seen a field of mustard, it just kind of takes over. <laughs> it just grows like crazy. And and uh, he said it's, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which a, a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. Well, mustard can get... It, it's not a tree like we would think of a like a sycamore or a fir tree or birch or some big thing that gets this big around at the base and uh, humongous but it's uh, it, it's in quite common for it to get you know up to ten feet tall if in under the right circumstances and 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 it would be big enough to for certain birds to land in it and perch and munch on bugs on it and seeds and whatnot. Uh, wouldn't support a 15-pound great horned owl or something like that, but smaller birds it would certainly uh, uh, handle quite handily. And, you know, in Matthew 13, it's used in a series of parables uh, regarding the kingdom of God in which familiar agricultural practices were used to teach spiritual truths about the kingdom of God and sovereignty. Parable of the sower. That's the what it's talking about. We find that we went through that in Luke chapter 8 when we were back in, in, in that. The parable of the sower. And a man sowed seed and some of it fell on certain ground that was stony and it didn't take root, and some of it fell on hard dirt, and it couldn't take root, and it died. And some of it fell among thorns, and some of it uh, fell along the wayside. But some of it fell on the good ground. And he was telling his disciples that the parable that he was using this parable at that time to teach them that they were going to go out and preach the word of God. They were going to go out and declare the gospel. And he says, you don't have any control over that. Your job is to sow the seed. And it's going to go everywhere, and some of it 
is going to be heard by some and it's not going to have any effect because it's the stony ground. It's the, the unfertile soil. It's the hard packed soil. It's, it's not going to take any effect pieces, but the good ground is the soil that's prepared by the Holy Spirit to receive that seed and it will take root and it will grow and it will bring forth fruit, some a hundred and some a thousand. And, but it's only where, where God has prepared the soil. And so he used that parable in, in preparation for the, the next parable that he gives in Matthew 13 regarding uh, this mustard seed. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 after he just got through teaching them this parable about sovereignty and and the effect of the word <clears throat> in Matthew 13:31 says another parable he put he forth unto them saying the kingdom of god is like to a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds but when it is grown it's the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And another parable he spake unto them, and saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. And that's pretty much the same parable that we're dealing with here in, in Luke chapter 13. And well, it's just uh, it's just unbelievable some of the things that you come across and critics, biblical critics say, well, Mustard seed is not the smallest seed. The smallest seed belongs to a jeweled orchid, and it's it's like 0.05 millimeters in length, where a mustard seed is like 0.1 millimeters in length. So, therefore, the whole Bible is wrong because of this anomaly. <laughs> but you know, we we uh, we look at the scriptures with a different eye because it. It's not really the literal or the spiritual application. It says, the mustard seed, which is the least of all seeds, there in Matthew uh, uh, 13, 32, doesn't really address that in Luke, but in Matthew 13, 32, it says, mustard seed, which is the least of all seeds. Well, in the Greek, that's the word micros, and it really it's really a comparison word in comparison to other seeds it's pretty small in comparison to the seeds that these folks were used to dealing with i don't know how many of those guys were would recognize a jeweled orchid seed if it if they had a whole sack of it <laughs> and i don't know how much uh, uh time they would invest in in growing jeweled orchids because you couldn't eat them they're good to look at. Maybe in a rich person's garden, they might plant a few of them for ornamental purposes. But most of the people that were involved in agriculture in the day, were they did it so they would have something to eat. And they had it so that they could use it for fodder for their their animals and whatnot. And so it had a practical application for them, not just a, a scientific it's the smallest seed. And <clears throat> so least of all seeds is 
as we said, it's from Micros, and it gives the sense of, in comparison, it's small in size, quantity, number, and sometimes it's used to refer to dignity, uh, small in comparison. <clears throat> and so in comparison to seeds that were commonly used in the time that of this was being recorded, mustard seed's pretty small. And uh, 0.1 millimeter in length is what we would uh, refer to as itty-bitty. <laughs> kind of like uh, what we used to say in the carpenter trade. Uh, make that three inches and four of those little marks. The little, the little marks are the itty bitty marks. <laughs> so, so anyway, going back to our our text here, and and it's it's sometimes it's used as an example of the faith that we have our own, the faith that we can muster up is compared to a mustard seed. By our, on our on our own, and uh, and that's a situation here uh, that it's comparatively small in relation to other things, and and so in in Matthew chapter seventeen we have an example of faith being compared to a mustard seed, but we find out that. He's pointing out that we don't really have a lot of faith on our own, but it's not a detriment to the purposes and power of Christ. He, he's, his purposes and what he does in the redemption of the church is not based on the quantity or quality or size or the amount of faith that we can muster up. It's based on, on his eternal electing love. It's based on his foreknowledge of his people. It's based on his covenant of grace with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he saves us in spite of ourselves. When we don't have any faith at all Amen. and we're unbelievers, yet he takes care of that. In Matthew chapter 17, and let's, let's read uh, several verses from that. Matthew seventeen eighteen, And he had just in this scripture here, Jesus had cast out this devil out of a child. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and says, Why could not we cast him out? And you remember he had sent, he had sent out the disciples on this mission. And they said, Oh man, the devils were subject to us and we healed all manner of diseases and we... We declared the gospel and we did all kinds of wonderful things. And they, Jesus and a couple other disciples were up on the mountain in prayer and they, they came back down and the other disciples had come back from their mission and this person came up to them and says, well, my kid has a devil. Can you cast him out for us while you're in the business? And they tried and they tried and they tried and they couldn't do it. And, and Jesus went over and took care of that issue uh, and so the disciples in verse 19 of Matthew 17 came to Jesus apart and said, well, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, boy, what a, 
what a wake-up call. Boy, when we think that we're on top of everything and we're, we're rock solid, then we come up with something like this that throws a monkey wrench in it. And we say, man, why is that? And he says, because of unbelief. That, that man said, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Because we all are faced with that. And, and he says, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. And that's a, the itty-bitty thing. If you just had itty-bitty amount of faith, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. And in like manner, uh, Jesus uses this familiar leaven uh, to apply in the parable. You know, everybody knew that that uh, a small amount of a leavening agent, and back then they were they would they would leave some grain to ferment, and that would be their leavening agent, or they would they would have like a sourdough kind of a mixture that we're all kind of familiar with because they didn't have the little. Uh, foil packets of yeast like we <laughs> like we have now and and a little jar of yeast or or the various things that we can just hop down to Safeway and pick up at a moment's notice they it, it required some maintenance and you had to kind of keep it up and because you would use it all the time and so you'd take a little dab out of it and mix it in with your dough and then you would add some more ingredients to your your sourdough mixture to keep it growing and fermenting and whenever you needed some fermentation you just take a scoop out and mix it with your your dough and and <clears throat> that would cause the uh, I think we had a lesson in one of our previous bible studies about how it created these air bubbles in in the dough and it would cause it to rise and expand and <clears throat> it would really look like you had a lot more there than you did really <laughs> and that was the point of that lesson back then is it's kind of puffed up is what that word leavening meant puffs up makes you makes you puffed up makes you seem like you have more of something than you really do and and it's just full of air and uh so this this term leaven was familiar with everybody and in fact uh, they made a special point of having unleavened bread for the passover for that ceremony. <clears throat> so you leave that out when you bake the bread and it comes out kind of flat and kind of a wafer-like. And <clears throat> So usually in the scripture we find leaven is kind of used in a negative context spiritually to demonstrate how even a small amount of leaven works. It represents works in these negative contexts, how even a small amount of it, just like a, well, I'm only going to put in one teaspoon of leavening agent here, and it's only, the the bread's going to expand this much. If I put in two tablespoons, it's going to get really big. But even a small amount has an effect. Even a small amount of leaven causes a change in, in the bread, and it expands it. And, and, uh, so in the negative context, it's usually a, used as a parable representing works. Don't 
don't mix works in your unleavened in your bread dough. <laughs> so uh, it it expands through the whole product eventually. <laughs> if you just leave it there long enough, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And you know, if you make bread, pretty soon you got to punch it down, and then pretty soon it's all coming over the side of the bowl again. You got to punch it down and and let it do its thing. And, and so in the example given in Luke and Matthew, it describes the the compounding and fatal effects of the the doctrine of the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees and, and the religious folks as a whole is uh, this leaven. Uh, Matthew 16, 6. Uh, <clears throat> then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Again, a spiritual application of a physical thing that they were familiar with. And in verse 11 of Matthew 16, he says, How is it that you you don't understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread? Remember they said, they said, well, we don't have enough bread. There's all these people and we only have like hardly any bread. And, and he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So then he goes on to explain it to them. He doesn't go over to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and explain it to them because to them it's not given to understand. He says, but to you, it is given to understand. He says, <clears throat> he says, how is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, not the physical application of making bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees of and the Sadducees. He, he, he likens it to doctrine. And what was their doctrine? Their doctrine was works. Their doctrine was keeping the law. Their doctrine was, uh, if you be Abraham's seed, uh, their doctrine was uh, obeying all the law and, and sticking with them in their religious uh, uh, business. And, you know, Paul used the same thing as a warning against false teaching that circumcision was necessary in addition to grace. And he, he brought that out in, uh, in Galatians chapter 5. Out, and he says, you know, you allow one small thing of works in, and pretty soon the whole thing is corrupted beyond, beyond belief. And it becomes of no good. Galatians 5.1, he says... Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't let that that leaven in. Don't let the works in. It just takes you right back to to you need to do this, you need to do that, and and it all depends on you. It doesn't depend on Christ. It doesn't depend on Him taking care of sin. <laughs> in all of our issues. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he's a debtor to do the whole law. So if you go and get circumcised just for the purpose of righteousness, then 
you got to keep that law, and you got to keep this law, and you got to keep this law, and you got to keep this law, and this law, and this law, and this law. You have to keep them all. Every man that's circumcised, he's a debtor to the whole law. You can't fail in one thing of it, which was kind of the purpose, to trust in Christ because he fulfilled all the law in our place. He says, for in Jesus Christ, verse 6 of Galatians 5, for, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. He said, There's, they were just parables. They were just pictures. They were just there. The circumcision was a picture of cutting away the flesh. Sometimes it says you're the circumcision of your ears, the circumcision of your eyes, the circumcision of your heart. It's getting rid of the reliance on flesh and trusting wholly to Christ was the, the whole point of this circumcision. <clears throat> so he says, the physical act doesn't do anything, whether you have it or whether you don't. It means nothing except as a spiritual lesson. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, total reliance in Christ, faith which worketh by love. You did run well. You started out really good. You started out in grace. He says, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? And then he says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You let... You let this guy come in and say, well, I know you were saved by grace, but you need to be circumcised. And then another guy will come in and say, well, I know that you were saved by grace, but you need to be baptized, or you need to keep the Lord's Supper, or you need to, you need to contribute to this cause. Or The list is endless. The, works, the list of works is endless. Uh, you need to pray nine times a day, or you need to... It's just unimaginable all the things that that can creep up in there just by letting one little false thing come in and pretty soon a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus warned to beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, saying one thing and doing another, being an actor, pretending to be religious. He says, you're... you're you look pretty good on the outside, but the inside is full of dead men's bones. And you're like whited sepulchers. And so watch out for that leaven, uh, which is hypocrisy. And and <clears throat> and turns out most of the things that they did were opposite of God. In opposition to Him, in opposition to the gospel, and in opposition to the kingdom. <laughs> All the things they did were steer you away. He says, you don't enter in yourselves and you hinder those that would enter in from entering in. So beware of that. And so the idea concerning leaven in this instance is applied, in this case, it's applied to good. Usually it's applied in these negative contexts regarding works. But here he says, the kingdom of God is like leaven. And, you know, it seems like well, it's only a little thing. And you mix it in the bread dough and then go away for a couple hours and pretty soon it's big. And if we think of that in terms of the gospel and 
uh, I was telling Norm this morning, I says, it kind of reminded me of our little assembly here, our little church we have here. We're not very big, but 382,000 people have downloaded messages from here via sermon audio. And so from a little mustard seed or a little leaven, you know, who can tell the effect of that overall? And, and uh, so it's applied in, in, to good in this parable according to the purposes of God as he explains this to the disciples who are a little worried you know, we're not very many of us. Not many people seem to be believing, and you know, some of us are being killed, and 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 doesn't seem to be very many of us. Like Isaiah said, "I'm all alone," and the Lord says, "I've reserved to myself seven thousand in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal." And Paul wrote about that in Romans uh, chapter nine. Even so, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And <clears throat> so there's a principle here that we can apply to the whole Bible, and we, we find it, you know, as you go looking through the Scripture, you just find it, it's like Christ. You just find it wherever you go. And <clears throat> leaven is small, the mustard seed is small, neither appear as though they could really accomplish great things or result in great growth and just in the opposite way is just as man thinks well well what harm could a little works do what harm it's just a little bit of works and it makes me feel so good when i do it makes me feel real religious makes me and makes me less dependent on christ who has done all That you know, we can go back to Deuteronomy. I just have a few examples here. You don't have to turn in your Bibles there. I'm just going to read you or paraphrase the situation and you can draw the conclusions for yourself because we're getting a little short on time here. But in Deuteronomy 7 7, the Lord says, Neither because you were the greatest, but the smallest, according to his purpose. Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, out of thee shall he come forth, Micah 5, 2. He that would be least in the kingdom shall be the greatest, Luke nine forty seven. You know, God chooses the the things opposite to what man thinks. <laughs> it's just true. He says, I don't do things the way you do. I don't think the way you think. And it's a mistake for you to think that I am like you because I'm not. God hath chosen the foolishness. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That, you know why? He said that no flesh should glory in his presence. It's, it's all of him. It's all of Christ. It's all of God. And that's from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29, if you're interested. That he said, I use these small things. I use these weak things. I use these base things. And, you know, 
back to the Old Testament, God chose David. David was not the biggest. Remember, he lined up all the sons of of uh, David's father and said, which one? Surely this must be the king because he's like head and shoulders of high and handsome and and big and and old the elder and he's nope not him nope not him nope not him and they get all the way down to a little David who was a, a a youth a ruddy youth that said he said this is what I'm going to use and and so he he made him king. And so he was the smallest and youngest of his brothers. You know, it's a testimony what the Almighty can and does do with what we would consider impossible conditions or elements. We would say, God's not going to use this. He couldn't possibly use that. And we just don't consider that he's the Almighty and and he He does things according to his purpose and and nothing is too hard for him or... Uh, out of his ability the the kingdom of god in scope and character uh, to us you know we're just a small group here and we it may seem to be small in our view and yet in truth it's grand beyond measure you know elijah said i've been very jealous for the lord and i only i am left and they seek my life and at that time, he said, I've got 7,000 in Israel, which have, and I'll bet you he, Elijah said, whoa, 7,000? And I thought I was just the only mustard seed around. <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, of course, quoted in Romans chapter 11, uh, verse 1 through 5 there by Paul, because he, the same, it's no different whatever age you're in, uh, Paul was talking to those folks there and and he said, has God cast away his people which he foreknew? Because it doesn't seem like there's much going on. Sometimes there are, you know. Sometimes we find 3,000 added to the church in one day. And some days it's like, will you go away too? <laughs> so, so you just never know how things are going to go. The mustard seed and the leaven, you know, once... One of them's concealed in the earth. The other is hidden in a measure of meal, uh, not visible to the eye anymore. So, you know, it's kind of what that, you, you plant that seed, you don't see it anymore. And you, until the crop comes in, you don't see the result of it. And the, the leaven, you, you mix it in the dough and, you, and then you stand there and watch it and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. But you go away for a while and then you come back and see the result of it. Sometimes it uh, seems like it has little effect, but you come back and it has like a hundred times greater volume than you, than you started with. <clears throat> you know, you compare the days of Noah with the vision given John in the revelation of Jesus Christ. In First in Peter 3, uh, 18 says, For Christ hath also once suffered for sins, a just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which he also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which some, excuse me, sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God 
waited in the days of Noah. Remember Noah, preacher of righteousness? I bet he thought, not many of us left. Wherein the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that was eight souls, were saved. Eight souls out of how many thousands or millions were on the earth. In Revelation chapter 7, <clears throat> verse 9 and 10, in this great vision that the Lord blessed John with of here's how things are going, here's the end picture that you don't see yet. Right now you think you're just putting a little drop of mustard seed here and a little leaven of the gospel here and it's mixing it in and doesn't seem to have much effect. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number. A great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And at the time here we have in Luke 13, many wondered if anything at all might come as a result of this way, they called it. And... uh Remember, they, they cast in prison any that followed this, this way, they called it. Remember Gamaliel? Hey, if it's of man, it'll come to nothing. But if it's of God, you can't stop it. <clears throat> Jesus said, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus that showed no inclination to overthrow the old Roman he says, that's not my business, you know. It's They're here according to the purpose of God to accomplish the redemption of the church. They're here to arrest me <laughs> and haul me up the hill and nail me to the cross. That's their purpose. He didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom, but he was planting the seeds of the gospel wherever the Spirit had made the ground fertile and receptive. So then he said unto us, What is the kingdom of God like, and whereunto shall I resemble it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew, and it waxed a great tree, a number that no man could number, a number of every kindred, tongue, and nation. It's a great tree. And he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. So the kingdom of God is made up of all those elect that he's redeemed through time. Sometimes it's one here, one there. Sometimes it's 3,000. Sometimes it's 5,000. Sometimes it's just one all according to the sovereign electing love of God. And, and each generation seems to say, well, we're pretty small. There's not many of us left. The Montanists used to wander around the hillsides looking for somebody that believed like they did. When they found them, they just give them the big hugs. Oh, thank God I'm not alone. There's somebody else that believes in grace. Somebody else that believes in the sovereignty of God. So... <clears throat> Peter said, 
to the strangers that were scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. They were the church that got scattered around and everywhere they went, they planted the mustard seed. They mixed a little leaven in the dough, the leaven of the gospel into the dough. And they didn't often see the result of it. But sometimes they did. Sometimes like those Thessalonians and he says, Man, you guys are you guys are known throughout the, the area for your faith and for spreading the gospel and everywhere you go. <clears throat> but in the end it'll all be by grace, as he has said, a great multitude which no man could number, all redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, the same in the past, the same today, and the same until the last sheep is brought home. So we've gone over our time, so we'll stop there. And so as always, my friends, be free.